Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again. Good to have you with us for another edition of Shim Spider and so much more. So the Socceroos have returned to action. The top six in the A-League is done and dusted. The Euros are almost upon us and we'll run the rule over all the big stories in today's edition in the company of Zelko Kalatz and Craig Moore. How are you, boys? Well, Thank you, lads. I'm good over here, Simon. Starting to warm up uh, very happily. Not not for Maury. Uh, it's not good for the gingers over here. <laughs> That's Croatia. How is Scotland, Maury? Yeah, the sun. Yeah, no, I've just been on Ange watch. Just been following the news every day to see <laughs> what's been happening with Ange. And, uh, you know, with the reports and the way that it's going, it looks as if it's it's closer. Um, you know, days. It's, it's not as if it's taken any backward steps. So, by the looks of it, Ange Postecoglou could be the next Celtic manager, which is massive. Yep, indeed. Uh, compensation said to have been agreed between Ch- uh, Celtic and Yokohama F. Marinos. So maybe this week we will see uh, the former Socceroos coach in charge of that uh, giant uh, Glasgow club. Uh, a thank you to all of you. Since the start of 2021, we have had over 47,000 downloads of our podcast. How about that? We have over 2,100 followers on Twitter, and our stories and interviews have featured in the Sydney Morning Herald, the Football Australia website, the Sporting News, the Raw, and many, many other online outlets. We are, of course, coming towards the end of the football season here in Australia at its culmination. We on this podcast will be taking a break and we will reassess. The landscape from there. It is possible uh, we could return at the outset of the next A-League season, or we might simply decide to call it a day. We started this podcast because we believed the game in Australia simply didn't have enough debates, the sort of opinion and exchange of ideas that are vital for a healthy football culture. Now, that might be about to change with the dawn of a new era, but 
we will keep you posted as to what will happen with the podcast just as soon as we know. But a thank you for listening and downloading our podcast. We sincerely appreciate it. So let's get into today's edition then, starting with Hard Talk. Hard Talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So, should you require a small personal event or business-level webcast, then please go to streamgate.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. Well, boys, let's uh, start with the Socceroos. Uh, Back in World Cup qualifying action against Kuwait, uh, another game to come uh, tomorrow morning against Chinese Taipei. What did you make of the performance, Maury? You can kick us off. Yeah, no, look, I thought it was a it was a very good performance. Um, again, it's the first time that, uh, you know, such a new group of players uh, because there's a lot of, lot of uh, I guess, new inclusions uh, to this particular squad. Um, got off to the perfect po- possible start. Uh, Lecky getting us up and running uh, with a great header. Uh, and in the end, um, you know, a, a good victory, 3-0. Um, Drustic obviously is taking, the, I guess, a lot of, Plaudits for, for his performance. He scored a wonderful free kick, uh, I've got to be honest. Um, but look, it's, it's a new look team. Uh, and I think that's what, what Graham Arnold has been looking to try and do for, for some time. And these games are very important for that. But after, I think, what, 15 months maybe with no international football, is a fant- fantastic way for our boys to come back and a great result. Spider, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with uh, exactly what Maury said. I, I think it's a new look Socceroos team. I think what Arnie's done well is he's he's dug deep to see who is available to play for Australia. And there's a lot of new faces where football people in Australia wouldn't even know who they are. Um, We all expected them to win comfortably. And you know what the beauty was? They did. And that that was very satisfying. And we know they'll win the next two games very comfortably in, in difficult circumstances. But to get all these young players, and I mean young players, Maury, they're all at great ages going into World Cup qualifiers, you know, the Asian Cups coming up. It's, it's exciting times, I think, for the Socceroos. Sure is. Go on, Maury. It's been a long time since we've really seen this, this kind of regeneration within the squad. And so, you know, I'm also very excited, you know, the the mid to, to long term, next five to ten years, you know, again, getting players that, that we haven't seen and you know, the likes of, um, you know, we had Kenny Dougal on uh, a little bit later on, sorry. Um, you know, players that have, have been doing well week in, week out uh, in leagues and finally getting that recognition and, you know, that, that regeneration of the national team squad that's been needed for some time. Uh, the other plus point for me was the performance of Fran Karacic at uh, Ryback. Agree that uh, Aidan Trustic was uh, outstanding. But of course, uh, whilst the first round of, of qualifying in AFC is going to be pretty straightforward, Australia almost over the line already. 
the final round is going to be much more difficult. Now, I don't know if you saw, guys, that little story I wrote for the Footyology website uh, last week on the need for the governments to come to the party to secure those home qualifiers, which is going to be vital when we're up against the likes of Japan, maybe South Korea or, or Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran. Uh, otherwise, uh, we could be looking at an overseas hub, which could last for three months, which is extraordinary. Windows in September, October, November, <clears throat> excuse me, November as well. And that could have, of course, knock-on effects for the start of the A-League and players being uh, taken away from their clubs uh, domestically. Uh, you, you just hope that they can find a, a solution to this and that we can have that crucial home advantage for those games. Just, just on that, Simon. So if you're saying that potentially a three-month hub, mm. uh, then straight away that, that will cause absolute havoc with whatever squad Graham Arnold may be able to put together because yep. that, that in terms of the, the, the players that are in Asia or in European football club, they're, they're not allowing that. Well, well the, issue, the issue is really more the Australian-based players because the European-based players and Asian-based players they don't have to serve these long quarantine periods, do they? That we have to serve coming back into Australia. So yeah. the issue yeah. for the A-League-based players would be you can't just fly in, play a game, fly back, because you'd have oh, yeah. to be serving quarantine periods you know, every single time. So uh, that's the issue for, for the, uh, those local-based players. Um, but you know, whether or not, Spider, you want to have those games at home because home advantage is going to be really important once the level of opposition gets a lot higher, which it's about to. I, I agree 100% with you. I think the, the second phase is exciting times. They're, they're really good football matches against really high quality teams. And we all know how strong Australia is at home. We are almost unbeatable when we play in Australia. When we actually have to play away, and give these other teams, it's not an advantage, but we don't have the advantage. So, yeah, we, we have to do something. And you're spot on, Simon, with the quarantine rules are a disaster for, for A-League players. Um, everywhere here in Europe, you know, we know the vaccines are coming out. We know, you know, uh, players are going into countries and flying straight out and starting training again. In Australia, that's not happening. And it's making it very, very difficult. And, you know, Arnie might have to look at it and say, I might have to just have to go all foreign. So the boys that are in the A-League that are trying to get into the Socceroos, they're going to be at a massive disadvantage. Mm. It's a tough one. Um, and the good news is, is that the government, both states and federal, has indicated that they do want to help and try and find a solution for this. Um, the games will probably be played, if they are played in Australia, in New South Wales, because it has... Uh, the best record in, in terms of dealing with COVID. Uh, an interesting stat, just picking up on what you said there, Spider. Uh, James Johnson, the uh, FA CEO, actually said that the Socceroos' win-loss uh, record ratio at home is 86%. Away, it drops to around 30 35%. So that's a, that's a big difference, isn't it? Um, so let's hope they can get that sorted out. Uh, still on the national teams, uh, the Matildas, of course, um, play very shortly. They've got two big uh, friendlies in their build-up for the Tokyo Olympics. And talking of which, uh, the Oli Roos, uh, they lost to Ireland 2-1. Rami Nazarene uh, scoring. Apparently, Maury, the same old story of 
dominating possession, but uh, but no cutting edge. We've heard that before, yeah. haven't we? Well, yeah. I mean, and that's um, that's always the challenge in terms of you know being that, that final third, making good decisions, being able to execute. It was a, a, a decent performance, but obviously come away with a defeat. Uh, to follow up from that, the, the game against Saudi uh, was postponed or, or actually cancelled due to, to COVID precaution. Um, but there's still two, two remaining games, I believe, against Romania, which is Tuesday European time, um, a little bit later, and also Mexico. So, look, it's still a good opportunity for, for this squad. Um, you know, a couple of players within this squad, obviously, um, that have they've come on the back of Premier League uh, debuts and, and, and exposure in Caleb Watts, Tyrese Francois for, for, for Fulham. So Tell look, us about this... him, Maury. What, what, what's, I, I have to admit, I, do, I know very little about Tyrese Francois. Ah, look, he's, uh, you know, what he must be doing on, on a, a week-to-week basis, daily basis, has um, obviously been spot on. I mean, I know that Fulham... Um, were, were down and, and, and out but to be getting the opportunity to be blooded um, as a young lad um, and like Caleb Watts as well Simon we're talking Premier League football um, it's been a long time since we, we, we've had that you know younger players younger Australian players getting the opportunity to dip their toes in Premier League football so two young players Caleb Watts I know a little bit more about because I had some experience working uh, in the under 17 World Cup in Brazil in 2019 a uh, very, very good player, uh, glides well with the, with the ball and has some flexibility in those forward areas. But Tyrese Francois obviously showed a lot of promise. Um, so slowly, we're starting to, to unearth these kind of players that are making their way um, and progressing through the ranks and the leagues throughout the world, which is fantastic. Sure is. Uh, let's bring matters closer to home, Spider, uh, the A-League. Uh, news this week that Matthew Leckie, of course, scored for the Socceroos in that win against Q8 is returning home with Melbourne City, a three-year deal. Are you a bit uh, surprised by that? What, what do you make of that transfer? Well, a massive. The great recruiting by Mel- Melbourne City. Uh, to get a player of that quality to come back into the A-League is, is unbelievable. Uh, so does that mean someone in their front line's leaving? Is Jamie McLaren getting sold that we don't know about yet? Well, I mean, certainly that front three has been one of the reasons behind City's success this season. Craig Noon, Jamie McLaren, Andrew Naboot. Uh, Naboot, of course, is out with an injury at, at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how how he... It's a nice problem for Paddy Kisnorbo to have if they're all still there next season, isn't it? <laughs> oh, wow. It's a problem I don't think he really wants, uh, especially with Leckie starting ahead of Jamie McLaren for the first Socceroo match as well. So, Maka will be thinking to himself, hang on a sec, he just signed for Melbourne City and he's playing number nine for the Socceroos. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a smart move by Melbourne City, you have to say that. And uh, terrific for the A-League as well, you know, to have a front-line uh, Socceroo to come back at, at the peak of his career, Maury. You, you remember uh, the days of Gold Coast United and, and the, the hubbub of Jason Kalina coming home when he was 29. This is sort of similar, isn't it? Yeah, and look, and Lex, is, he's, had a, he's had a wonderful career. You know, he's, he's managed to, to, to make a name for himself in Germany, to stick. Um, he, he works ever so hard as a player. Um, he's got great durability. Um, you know, he's obviously got that flexibility. He can play as a striker. You remember in his early days when he, he kind of led the line at times for, for Adelaide, even as a young lad. 
He's got a great leap, as we've seen with his goal against Kuwait. Great header. Um, he's got pace. He's got the uh, he's got the nous now, the experience to be able to bring people into play. So for Melbourne City to get Matthew Leckie, um, as Spider said, that's a very, very good work indeed. And it's a huge addition to what is already a very, very strong squad. Yeah, big statement ahead of uh, next season. Let's talk about the games that rounded out the regular season this particular campaign. Uh, Spider, we'll start with MacArthur nil, Wellington 3. A good end to the season for the Phoenix. Very tough year for them being on the road for most of it in Wollongong. But I'm intrigued in your thoughts as to where this leaves MacArthur ahead of the finals. They've only won three of their last 11 matches, two of those against Victory, who, as we know, have had a poor season, and one against <clears throat> Western United, who, who've just gone eight consecutive defeats. Um, where are the balls at with Ante Milicic ahead of the finals? Look, I, I, think, the, I think MacArthur's done a great job this year because... Mate, 44 weeks ago when we started the podcast, I said they'd make the playoffs. They finished six. So they made the playoffs in their first year uh, under difficult times assembling a squad. What MacArthur has, yep, you're right. Their, their last uh, results haven't been great. But what they do have is a lot of experience through their team. So in a one-off game, uh, they, they're going to be dangerous for Central Coast. And they got, they got probably the best the best goalkeeper in the A League. Yep. They got uh, defence very uh, experienced, and they got a striker who can score goals. And of course, it's Matt Derbyshire who was left out yeah. of the weekend. Sorry, Maureen. And also, there's a sending off, Simon. There was a sending off, obviously, in the game uh, against Wellington, I believe. Yep. Yes, Loic Puyo. Uh, yeah. And also, Spides head to head. I know some people read too much into it. Some people don't really care about it. Um, Central Coast Mariners three times have played MacArthur this season for three victories. Mm. There we go. We'll mm. see if that repeats next week. That is um, one of the final mm. matches. Mm. <laughs> mm. So, so what? So, what are you saying, Maury? Central Coast are going to win. I'm just saying that that's the history. That's the head-to-head -head this season. One-off game. I'm like you. Anything can happen. I would have to say in this particular match, Central Coast Mariners are favourites. MacArthur will win. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Um, let's talk about the Mariners. Uh, they defeated Western United 2-0 uh, back in the finals for the first time since 2014. It, this is the story of the season, isn't it? Incredible uh, job that Alan Stajic has done. At three consecutive wooden spoons and they finished third. Remarkable. Uh, it's been a, it's been, it has been an incredible job because, again, uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful at all about this particular squad. Um, the, the, the one benefit that it has, Simon, is the, the, the amount of football that has been played within the A-League. Um, you know, he's managed to, to, to keep a, a group of players that probably are not um, household names and are, are going to attract a lot of interest from other clubs. But what Stajic has done has got them performing extremely well for, for the Mariners and been really, really consistent from an unbelievable start to a slight dip and people thinking, well, yeah, is, is that it? Are they going to continue to drop away? But no, resilient, hung on, continued to get results. Urena, I think, has been wonderful for them this season. Um, I, I think he's been a big-time player for them. And, and this particular match against Western United, um, they were very good for their victory. They caused them all sorts of problems 
in particular around about set pieces, corners, set plays, Western United really, really struggled. Yeah. I, I think Central Coast, some of their players have actually grown this year. I think Stadion have done a very, very good job with them. But I think some of their players have gone to another level in a league that I must say is a little bit weaker this year. And I think that's the benefit that Central Coast got. I think they recruited well as well, Maury. Now, Matty Simon, let's be serious. Man, they can't handle him in the A-League. He's still causing havoc. But what, what he does and what he seems this year is to be a very happy player. So he's got a leader on the park that's a very happy player. And the young players are actually following. Like, I mean, Jack Clisby's been fantastic this year. De Silva. De Silva? Like, yep. he's always been, he's going to be a player. He's going to be a player. This year, he showed that he is a good player. So it takes time for these players. And in the past, they got matches and finished last or second last. And now they are more experienced group of players. Mate, they've done a great job. I'm really happy for Central Coast. And they've got a home final next week, um, as have Brisbane. They will entertain Adelaide. We'll talk about Brisbane in a moment. Adelaide drew two apiece with the Wanderers. Um, what do you make of the Reds, Maury? They won six straight going into April, but they really sort of fell away in the second half of the season, just three wins in the second half of the campaign. And going to Brisbane in the finals is not easy for them. No, it won't be. And and Simon, that 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 final is it at um, is it at Dolphin or is that Redcliffe yeah. or is it Dolphin. Uncle? Okay, Dolphin. that's that's a big advantage for Brisbane. Uh, big advantage. I think they're one apiece so far in, in regular domestic season. Look, Adelaide. I, I'm I'm not I'm not surprised, and I don't think you will be either, Spider, for a little, a little bit of inconsistency. Although they they've made the finals, which is fantastic, because they've got a lot of younger players. So what you mm. tend to see with the younger players is yes, they come in. Um, they have a great impact, but being able to repeat that week in, week out is tough, is tough. That takes time and that takes experience. What a signing and, and, and um, has really helped Adelaide continue to move in the right direction in Craig Goodwin. He's been enormous for the football club mm -hmm. ever since he's come back. And again, I think that that's probably taken a little bit of pressure spides off those younger players um, going into this game, into the finals one off. Again, I would think that um, Brisbane at home have probably got a great opportunity, but this is a really open match in my opinion. Mm, I, I sort of think, uh, I think Adelaide's done a great job. I think they've unearthed some very good young players. And again, uh, due to the season, due to the salary cap, some of these boys have been given a chance. Uh, they're going to be better for next year. I think they're going to come short against Brisbane. I think Brisbane will be too good, too experienced. Uh, they'll win up in Brisbane. But it's been a very good year for Adelaide. And I think Carl Vitt and Ross Aloisi and Eugene Galekovic and all the staff there have done a very, very good job because they've been entertaining to watch. Um, let's talk about Brisbane. Uh, they were defeated 2-0 at home by Sydney. Um, we've talked about this before over the last couple of weeks, but Sydney, of course, the reigning champions starting to build... An awful lot of momentum, five straight wins, 10 scored, conceded just one. Uh, they did this latest one with, uh, without their three Socceroos, Andrew Redmayne, Ryan Grants, Ryan McGowan. Um, and they were very, very solid again. In particular, Spider, I want your thoughts on the performance of young Hewitt Bell between the posts. Didn't uh, miss a beat and they, they didn't seem to miss Andrew Redmayne. 
No, I, I think I thought he done fantastic. Uh, Thomas Hewitt Bell is a very good keeper. He's been around in the A League environment for a long time. The problem is he's at Sydney FC, and he's got a Socceroo in front of him, where some of the other boys like Margush and Delianov and Gauchi and Glover they're getting the opportunity at other clubs to play. Uh, Hewitt Bell has not been given that opportunity, but he has played a Champions League match. He's played you know, one or two A-League matches. I thought he'd done a fantastic job. He's 23, I would say now. So he would be looking to find a club where he can play regularly. And I don't know. I actually thought about it, and I don't know where he could go, to which club he could go, but he's done a fantastic job. Fantastic. This is why we need a second division, isn't it? So we can uh, give experience to those younger players. Um, Newcastle won, Perth won, uh, Maury. Is that the last we've seen of Diego Castro? And if so, uh, what will be his legacy on the A-League? Again, I think we said before that I think Diego Castro decides when um, his time is up. Um, you know, if he decided, if he said to Perth Glory, you know, look, I'm really still enjoying my football and I, I would like to to stay longer, then I think they'll be mad not to to keep someone of Diego Castro um, of his quality. I mean, look, we know that he can't get about the field um, unbelievably well for 90 minutes, but what I, what he can do is um, continually create problems for his opponents. He still has the ability to um, to pick out and play that killer pass. He still has the ability to 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 jink and go by people, and more importantly, score goals. He's been a wonderful wonderful player for for the A League. Um, one of the best, you know, one of the best. And you put you got to put him up there with the likes of, of Del Piero uh, in terms of his contribution. Um, probably been. Um, I can't believe he's gone as long as what he has done. So he obviously is an, an ultimate professional. Spide, you'll know a little bit more, but he obviously looks after himself well and has found a very, very happy place. And if he decides to go longer, then Diego Castro's son, keep going. Yeah. I, look, Maury, he, he's a class above. Mate, his CV says that. He's a class above. My only concern is about these players. Um, we want to keep him. But can we get him into the salary cap? And this is, the, this is the big question mark for me because, you know, he's not a player that can probably play every game now. If they can accept being a part of the squad inside the salary cap, mate, it's, it's a no-brainer. You sign him as a visa and you use him that way. But if you're playing marquee dollars for these players uh, like, like a Diego Castro now, I think we have to go away from that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just think it costs the clubs too much money, Maury. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Again, I'm not talking about his financial uh, situation. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, that's down to, to Perth Glory to, to decide whether it's a, a good investment, whether it's something they want to do, whether it's, it's something they do not want to do. You touch on it, Spides. You know, a player of that uh, calibre now and the age that he's at, mate, wouldn't he be brilliant if you just rolled him out for all your home games? Mate, it'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? <laughs> it doesn't have to travel and he comes into every game fresh at home and <laughs> you make your home the fortress <laughs> um, guys let's uh, finish off the A-League chat with the Melbourne Derby which of course was played behind closed doors on Sunday due to the, uh, the latest COVID scare in Victoria it ended uh, all square gives victory the chance of 
potentially avoiding a wooden spoon, but um, that's not definitive yet because there's still one more game to play. Uh, we think it might be on Wednesday or Thursday this week, which is Melbourne City against, oh, sorry, Newcastle Jets against Melbourne City. Don't quite know how they're going to travel given the current uh, restrictions. But um, the question for me is ahead of the finals, uh, Maury, is it better for City to keep playing? Or would they be better, or would they prefer having the week off? Oh, it's a good question, Simon. Um, I think if you, as a coach, if you, as a club, you feel as if there's some potential headaches, um, mm. maybe the game is a is a is a nice opportunity to, um, you know, to, to I guess maybe make Play yourself kids. Clear, clear in your head what you want. Yeah, um, mm. you know, but sometimes that, that that week off leading into to finals. Is, is also um, a, a good thing. So, look, it, it can go either way. I mean, um, the actual derby itself, um, look, Matty Acton, to be fair, pulled off some wonderful saves to keep victory uh, in that match. Uh, Tilio had a couple of great chances, early doors. Uh, and then, um, you know, Melbourne victory to, what was it, sixth, fifth, sixth minute in stoppage time to, yeah. to get the equaliser. Um, Leighton Brooks with, with a snatch finish, which was great. Um They'll be happy with that, but they'll certainly be hoping that if the game, obviously, against the, the Jets, that it'll go in the favour of Melbourne City so they don't get the wooden spoon. That is true. They are reliant on their City rivals doing them a favour uh, to avoid a first-ever wooden spoon. Uh, there are going to be some FFA Cup qualifiers next week as well, incidentally. The bottom four teams are going to play off for one spot uh, that remains in the round of 32, which I guess, Spider, gives a little bit of competitive tension down at the bottom of the table. It's not been mentioned too much in dispatches. don't know whether the players uh, really feel it, but it, at least it's, it's something in terms of the bottom of the A-League. I love it. I, I think it's a great concept for mediocrity. You finish down the bottom, you've got to earn your right to play in the FFA Cup. And I, I think it's a fantastic concept. Um, the bottom four are Victory, Western United, Perth, Perth Glory, Newcastle, and Newcastle. So yeah. you know what? That that's that's very good. And the FA Cup, FFA Cup means a lot to the supporters and to the clubs. Um, and the sooner we actually take more pride in it, and I think this is a great step in the right direction. And of course, as of uh, this next FFA Cup competition, the winners will get a spot in the Asian Champions League as well. Yeah. Not that our clubs are playing in it this season because they've actually withdrawn, which is uh, an interesting story, Maury. How do you think that will go down at uh, AFC HQ? What, what sanction, if any, do you think there might be? Oh, yeah, I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I can't imagine it being um, a, a good thing, but uh, you know, I understand in terms of why maybe the clubs in Australia have, have made that decision. Um, yeah, we're yet to see what um, AFC um, will make of it all. Uh, I'm not sure when it, whether there's been given yet a clear date as to um, yeah the response that they will make in terms in terms of these clubs. Uh, it's, it's being them. referred to the various AFC committees, so I think <laughs> I think they're going to have a bit of a chinwag about it and. Um, yeah, I, I can't see our clubs escaping without some sort of sanction. My fear, Spider, is that, you know, the, the Australian clubs may get 
uh, either a fine, which, which is difficult for our clubs because they're not exactly flush with cash, uh, but more damagingly for the game that they could get uh, thrown out of Asia maybe for a year or even, or even two. But again, Simon, we, we, we speak about it and our clubs have to fly out to Asia. When they come yeah. back, they have to do 14-day quarantine. It, it's, yeah. it's actually not possible to participate in the competition. And, you know, again, we speak about Europe. It's different because teams are flying in and out of countries in Australia and New Zealand. It can't happen. You have to quarantine for 14 days. So unless our government changes the rules there, it's impossible for the clubs to participate. It's certainly very, very tough. Sorry, Simon. So do you think that maybe it's possible that AFC will fine the the clubs, but it might be potentially a, a suspended fine? It could be. I'd, I'd, I'm, I'd speak with absolutely zero knowledge of, of what AFC are going to do. I just remember that I think it was last year in the ACL, our clubs did threaten to pull out then, and AFC came down very hard and yeah. said, if you do that, you will heavy fines, you know, possible suspensions. And in the end, they ended up obviously going and playing in the, in the hubs. Um, but this year, they've, they've opted to uh, make that decision to to stay away collectively. I think some of it is is certainly to do with, you know, the, the concerns over COVID um, in, in the parts of Asia that they were going to have to play and the health of their players. Uh, I think there's also, let's be honest about this, a scheduling clash with the finals as well, um, which clearly could not be shifted because of the the culmination of the broadcast deal. So it's, it's a very tricky situation for the clubs. And uh, I just hope that... Uh, you know, the AFC don't come down too hard on them because obviously, you know, we enjoy the Champions League in, in normal times. It's it's a great competition for our clubs to be involved in. And that's what we wanted when we went into Asia. Um, almost the end of this particular segment. It's been a long one today. Uh, FIFA Women's World Cup to be shown on Optus Sport. That was decided uh, this week. Free-to-air package uh, still to come, which will include all Matilda's games, which I think is obviously important for the sport. Uh, and the Matilda squads, uh, and that, or at least the initial party, announced for the Olympics. Uh, no Lisa Devanna. Uh, Kyra Cooney-Cross was included. Uh, we wish the girls all the very best of luck, of course, in those uh, friendly games that they have ahead of Tokyo. And let's hope they can go and uh, bring back a medal in Japan. All right, let's head overseas. London Calling. London Calling. Go further with the Australian College of Physical Education. With more than 100 years of experience, ACPE's courses are designed to get you career ready. Their bachelor degrees in sports performance and business, health science, applied fitness, education and dance can help turn your dream into a career. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for semester one, 2021 at acpe.edu.au. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Well, we're going to dedicate today's overseas segment to a little preview of the Euros. Of course, uh, this is delayed from 2020 due to COVID. Uh, it's being played across 11 different countries, which yeah, is interesting given that the pandemic is still rampant in uh, the old continent. 24 teams uh, from Spain in the west to Azerbaijan in the east, the host nations, the final, of course, at Wembley and with limited numbers of fans allowed in the stadiums. Uh, it all kicks off, Spider, with uh, Turkey against Italy on the 11th of June in Rome. Um, Italy warming up with uh, a 4-0 win over the Czech Republic. They haven't won the Euro since 1968. I think they're a smoky, don't you? 27 games unbeaten. Roberto Mancini's done an unbelievable job uh, to turn around a national team that, of course, in case we forgot, didn't qualify for the World Cup in Russia. 100%. I think, look, after last week tipping half the Euros to win it, I've uh, cold, cold, <laughs> I've cold <laughs> my selection a bit. Um, and I think Italy's one of the teams to beat. I definitely think Italy can win the Euros. I think they've got a young, mobile side that plays a great brand of football. And I think Mancini has done something remarkable with his team. Uh, the pride of playing for that jersey again, he's brought it back. Um, I think they're a huge chance. Huge. Interesting. Good group, Good group. Turkey, Switzerland. Uh, Italy and Wales, great opportunity to progress and their unbeaten run with Mancini, as you touched on, Simon. Incredible. Sure is. Um, what about uh, Belgium, Maury? Are their golden generation starting to age a little bit? 10 players, 30 or over. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, of course, picked up that uh, horrible injury in the Champions League final. I'm told that he's actually joined up with the squad after undergoing minor surgery. Uh, they won all 10 qualifiers. They're the world's top-ranked team. They've got a decent group, Denmark, uh, Finland, and Russia. Um, yep. And we know the quality that, that Belgium have. Eden Hazard, De Bruyne, Lukaku, um, and young Jeremy Doku from Rennes could well be a breakout star as well. What, what about their chances? Is this a last chance to win a trophy, do you think? I want to say it's their last chance because I think Belgium are going to be a country that will continue to churn out talent. Um, but this is their golden generation. I think you've gone back, uh, you know, 10 years ago when everyone was raving about uh, the talent, the young talent that Belgium had. This is that group of players. Um, you know, they've, they've been there at the pointy end. They were semi-finalists in the World Cup, 2018. Yep. yep. Um, so they, they've been there, there thereabouts. De Bruyne, um, who was voted PFA Player of the Year for the second year in a row uh, today, if you don't mind. Uh, reporting back to the squad, huge player for them. But you just look through, you just look through this whole squad, and it's absolutely jam packed with talent um, and players that can actually win you a tournament. Do I think they'll win this tournament? I don't believe they will, but I think they'll be there at the pointy end. We'll get your tips a little bit later. Um, I want to ask you about England's nation of my birth. I see some of the bookies are making England favourites, which. Yes. I think it's ridiculous. I've probably got them favourites as well. You've got them favourites as well. Yeah. See, I can't see that. For me, the defence is problematic. Uh, Jordan Pickford, I'm not convinced by. I'm interested in your thoughts on him, Spider. Harry Maguire's got an injury. I know Gareth Southgate's trying to play this back three to try and 
uh, give them a little bit more defensive solidity. But they they defeated Austria 1-0 in a friendly, but conceded an awful lot of chances. Uh, and for me, the, the, you know, the question mark is is still that back line. Spider, what's your take on Jordan Pickford? Is he a, a, t- a top-ranked goalkeeper in your eyes or not? Look, I, I wouldn't have thought he was England's number one. Um he is. But he's had a solid he's had a solid year. And the problem what you're saying, Simon, is about the the goals and the chances that they're conceding. Uh, is he the keeper that can make those big saves when the defense does leak? Uh look, I, I think he's a very good keeper. I think England has a very good team. But they're playing around with their defense, which actually says to you that Southgate's seeing problems. I reckon he'll go back to a four at the back, uh, do what the English do best, four, four, F and two, and play it in the channels. (laughs) Harry Harry Kane's not working the channels for you, mate. No, he's not. (laughs) I I think there are a chance, Simon. I do. I I think there is a chance. Um, But, yeah, there's a lot of good sides. Look, to be fair, I think there are a chance as well, but... I. I don't think they're favourites. I, I don't know where they get that from. Me either. Anyway. No, nah, me either. Um, just I don't... When you look at sides, you, you, bring up, you bring up the point, and Simon, you mentioned it. Goalkeeper is an, is an issue because Pickford is... A, for me, I've seen Pickford live a few times this season. He can be a liability at times. Mm. He really mm. can. Some of, some of his decision-making. I, I look at defensively, yeah, they can be better. Uh, Maguire obviously is a concern. I don't think he's unbelievable. I just, I look at their talent and I think that they'll be able to control majority of the games. And then when I look at their attacking areas, I think, oh, mm. you know, they, they can yeah. really hurt him. So favourite might be a little bit wrong, but I'm telling you, everyone goes in saying England can't win it. I'm the opposite. I think they can win it. Okay. Well, obviously I hope you're correct. Um, I don't think the Netherlands are the favourites this time around either. They're without Virgil van Dijk. Uh, Daly Blint also suffering an injury, not played much uh, leading into this tournament. Frank de Boer says his team are between fourth and eighth strongest. I think that's probably about right. Now, what about the French? Now, for me, this is my pick um, for the Euros. Even though they've got a tough group, it must be said, they faced Germany in their first game in Munich. Uh, They've also got to play Portugal and Hungary. But when you look at the quality that Didier Deschamps has, and of course he's recalled Karim Benzema as well. He's got Kylian Mbappe, Antoine Griezmann, Paul Pogba, N'Golo Kante, Raphael Varane, uh, Dembele, and so many more Giroud. You can just keep reeling them off. For me, they have got the, the most strength in depth of any national team at these European Championships, Spider. Absolutely ridiculous how strong they are. <laughs> Mate, they, Maury, do you remember the World Cup? I said, yeah, France were absolute morals. Their, their squad is scary. The only thing that can beat the French is the French. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Because normally that squad is full of egos. There's been trouble before in camps and, mate, the players. But the World Cup, they were sound. The, the, the team was cohesive. Uh, and I think it'll carry on like that. I, I think they are clear favourites. Clear. Have to agree. And, of course, you might remember the last time they won the World Cup in 1998. They then went on to win the following 
European Championships in 2000. I wonder if history might repeat itself. Uh, what about the Germans? The Germans are always there or thereabouts. More, of course, this is Joachim Lowe's last tournament before he's replaced by Hansi Flick. But they, they've been a bit up and down. Again, you, you look at their squad and they've got such quality. Manuel Neuer, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, who's just scored in the Champions League final. Gundogan, who played against him. Rudiger, who played in that final. Leroy Sane, Thomas Muller, Serge Gnabry. They, they've got quality throughout their squad as well. Look, again, they produce amazing players. Always have an amazing squad going into the major tournaments. And normally, it always right there in the mix, whether it be that, that semi-final stage, final stage. Spider, you're going to love this because I know you love a big call. I actually think Germany are going to flop come Euros. I, I, I think that the, um, uh, the departing manager, I think, is something that I think will work against Germany. It's an extremely tough group, as we've touched on. Um, I, I, I talk about flop of the tournament, potential um, you know, team that, that doesn't really perform to, to the level that they should be is Germany for me. Big chops. I can't believe you've said that. You've just taken all, all the words out of my mouth. I reckon they're going to have a disaster yeah. because I heard, and this is the beauty about being in Europe, I heard there is massive trouble in the camp, in the Germans. Uh, you know, these boys have come back. Uh, there's, a, there's a big problem with Joachim Lowe who wants to play three at the back and the, all the Bayern players are, are saying, no, we have to play four at the back. The two boys that have come back from winning the Champions League, uh, Havertz and Werner, are not starting. Um, mate, I heard it is turmoil. In camp, so I, I agree with you. I can't, but where'd you get the information from, bud? Mate, it's just a gut, gut feel, gut feel. I, I think they'll fail as well. But what a, what a very difficult group. That is the problem. Uh, talking to the Portuguese, they drew a friendly against Spain, uh, nil nil. What do you think of those two countries' chances, the Spanish and the Portuguese? There was a, there was a little bit that just come out. I think I've seen today. Um, the last preparation game for Spain, Busquets tested positive, so therefore the whole squad was... Um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? That's, yeah, <laughs> quarantine, but yeah, like, yeah, they were sort of like protected, so therefore I think their, their, their preparation, the last preparation match is obviously not that one, what they were looking for. Mm. Look, Spain again, um, there, there's some, some massive uh, exclusions, you know, Ramos obviously not um, going along to this tournament as probably the main one, but they have a very talented squad. They have some really good young players. They they play at the highest level, and on their on their day, they they can beat any team. They can play the best football you've ever seen and put you to the sword and and, and win three or four nil, no problem. I don't know whether Spain are going to be able to knock out the type of performances that are needed uh, regularly within this tournament to win it. What about Portugal, Spider? I think Portugal can win it. I think they got unbelievably they strong. Oh, I think they got an unbelievably strong squad. I, I really do. They they've got really good players at the right age, Maury, and they've got a leader that's desperate to win the Euros. Um, you know, it could be his last Euros. Talking about Ronaldo, I, yeah. I think they're very strong. I, I think they're a very strong side. And you know what? The problem with Portugal, their games are never bloody entertaining. <laughs> they win one nil. They win one nil all the time, mate. Drives me insane. 
Slovan Greece won the Euros in 2004. Yeah, true. I, I think they can win it. I, I, look, they're strong. Well, they are the defending champions, of course, the Portuguese. Won it in 2016. Uh, two more questions. Uh, one for each of you before we go. Uh, Spider, we'll stick with you. We'll ask you about Croatia, your second home and where you're living at the moment. Are they a dark horse? That The squad's a bit uh, ageing, isn't it? But, of course, welcome mm. finalists in 2018. I, I watched the game tonight, Belgium against Croatia, and it was a typical last preparation match. Uh, no one wanted to get hurt, uh, playing their shape, keeping structure. Croatia's got Modric. And while Modric is on the park, something can happen. Uh, can I, I don't think they can win it. I, I really don't think they can win it. I don't think they're, they're strong enough defensively. And I don't think they score enough goals. And Spider, uh, sorry, Maury, your second home, Scotland. What does success look like for the Scots at this Euros? Hey, well, tell me, tell me if I'm mad, right? You're not going to say they're going to win it. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say they're going to win it. But their preparation, uh, without six or seven players against the the Dutch, they they drew two two. They they performed uh, very well. I know it's only a friendly match. They uh, they went on today and and uh, they they won against Luxembourg. Luxembourg got a man sent off. Probably wasn't the test that they were looking for, but looked comfortable. Um, there's a lot more depth in this Scotland squad that it's had for a long, long time. It's 23 years since their um, their last major competition. It actually reminds me so much of of of, of us, Spider, when we went to the 2006 World Cup on the back of 32 years. Um, yeah. Their last game, who's who's it against in their group? Their last game, it's against Croatia. Croatia. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of there's just so many things. And again, call me mad. I I, I actually think that. Scotland, for them to be successful, Simon, need to put themselves in a situation where they go into that last game of the group with a chance to qualify. Mm. They've, they've got the best possible start. I'm not saying Czech Republic are an easy team, but Scotland have had success against the Czech Republic. That's their first match. England against the old enemy, mate, you know, anything is possible. Anything can happen, right? But go into the last game against Croatia with a chance to qualify. I tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised if Scotland went through their group. Okay, um, so we'll finish off with with tips. So, Maury, you said, did you say Belgium or I'm Italy? Say, I'm going to say England are my team to win it, Simon. England, Germany, right. Germany, Germany are my flop of the tournament. Right. And Poland are my dark horse. Poland? Hmm. Hmm. Look at, look at Poland's group and look, okay. look who their main striker is. He never gets deep into tournaments because Poland never progressed, but I think they've got a, maybe a, a group that they can get out of. Okay. Spider, hmm. what's your, who's your winners, your flops, and your dark horse? All right. I, I think France will win it. I think Italy is my dark horse, and I agree with Maury. I actually think I think Germany is going to be the flop. Okay. I've written all those down, and uh, we'll wait and see if you're right. <laughs> Can I explain with the dark horse? The dark horse for me doesn't mean it's a team that goes on to win it, mm. but it's a team that obviously does a lot better than, than what they a good normally. tournament. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Big chops. Mate, you've got too much time over there. 
<laughs> Thanks for the moment, boys. Uh, we will leave it there. We're heading into our final section where another great guest awaits us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest today was born in Brisbane in 1993 after starting his junior career at the QAS, Brisbane Raw and Brisbane City. He headed overseas in 2014 to the Netherlands to play for Telstar. Then after three years with Sparta Rotterdam, he transferred to England to play for Barnsley. And as of 2020, he's with Blackpool, where, of course, he's just completed a quite remarkable week, scoring twice at Wembley to take the Tangerines to the Championship and making his debut for the Socceroos against Q8. He is, of course, Kenny Dougal, and he joins us now from the Socceroos camp in the Gulf. Uh, thanks for your time, Kenny. How are you, mate? Yeah, all good. Thanks for having me on. No, it's um, great to have you on. What, what a week to have you on as well. And we're going we're gonna to get straight into it with our Twitter question of the week. $100 Outback Steakhouse voucher goes to James, who simply says, what's your favourite part of this week? Is it scoring a brace in the final to win it? Is it promotion to the championship? Or is it your Socceroos debut? Uh, it's kind of an impossible question, really. Um, <laughs> but I think two goals at Wembley has, has to take it um, and then top it off. The whole day was um, with promotion and the celebrations. That's got to be the one, I think. Is your head in a bit of a whirl at the moment? Because it's been such a big week for you. It has, um, I guess... The other two in the in the window here could um, obviously help me explain this a bit. But as footballers, you kind of just you, you do something and then it's on to the next. So at times you can't really appreciate it as you would. But you know, um, looking back on it, it was, it was a special day last night again. Special night. Um, you know, so for the moon, really, there's nothing more to say about it. Kenny, I, I know the way that we used to celebrate. I know the way that we used to celebrate after after a success, mate. <laughs> I mean, the old guard is still there a little bit, but I think it's changed in in terms of there's social media everywhere, so you probably can't get away with some of the stuff that you guys did. Um, <laughs> Mate, Maury, he was too quick to answer that question. So that means he knows exactly <laughs> what we're talking about. And after his brace at Wembley, he was definitely on the drink. Oh, he was captain sure. of Rangers. So obviously, he organised all the, all the parties, surely. <laughs> um, let, let's talk about uh, the, the game at, at Wembley you, you're not exactly a regular goal scorer particularly the position that you play but you didn't just get the two at Wembley you got another one against Oxford in, in the playoffs as well um, was, was that something that you, you felt was coming that you were, you were overdue a few goals or um, I'm always in and around the corners and I think the one in Oxford in the semi was kind of the the lucky one or two that you get each season. Um, the two at Wembley were a bit um, sort of out of the blue, if you, if you say. But it, it's you find yourself in those positions all the time. In thirty games, forty games, you maybe don't get a shot, and then you get two at, at Wembley. It's a, it's a bit strange, but um, I like to think I'll, I'll always be there. I'll always, you know, take them if if they if they come. Um, last night, to be fair, I, I could have had one. It just didn't sit properly for me. Um, 
You're going to wait another 30, 40 games for those two. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But it doesn't matter. It's important that they win in on that day. How many times have you watched those two goals already? Um, yeah, quite quite a bit, to be honest, quite a bit. Um, <laughs> you've got to enjoy it when it comes. I'm not, like, like Simon said, I'm not a regular goal scorer, so um, you've got to lap it up, really, and then sometimes I unintentionally watch it, you know, when friends or family send it to me. Um, maybe from a different angle, you think, oh, I haven't seen this before. I'll, I'll watch this. <laughs> you, did, you did used to score a few for Brisbane City back in the day, though, didn't you, in your earlier part of your career? Yeah, that was that was like NPL level, so I was playing a bit further forward. Um, but yeah, um, since I've turned professional, I, the goals has kind of dried up. Um, but yeah, I scored three in the last two club games, so you know I'm, I think I'm a goal scoring midfielder now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so that was Wembley at the weekend, which I imagine is is an absolute dream for a, for a footballer to go there and score. Uh, twice and get promotion with your club and then you're immediately on a plane to be part of the Socceroos squad and you come on and make your debut last night I imagine that's also sort of the culmination of a, of a lifelong uh, dream as well yeah definitely um, completely two different situations um, but I'm 28 now so it's I'm kind of a late bloomer in terms of international debut but I imagine it's just as special as if you made it when you were 16. So, um, you know, to finally achieve that, to get on the pitch, you know, I've been in a, a few camps now. Um, however, I've never gotten on. So to be able to get on in a World Cup qualifier was, was special. Um, and then I won the game, which helps. I know that obviously you've got Scottish and, and Thai heritage through, through your parents. Were you ever approached uh, to, to play for those other national teams? And did you consider it if you, if you were? Um, I, was, I don't think I was ever formally approached. Maybe they did some stuff in the background, but for me, it was no, um, there was no decision. It was always Australia. Um, you know, it's where I was born and raised, chance to play at major tournaments. There was, there was no question of it. Um, so when I only first came in, he, he picked me. So he's showing confidence in me, which is, just nice, and um, hopefully I can repay that. And obviously good to get a win as well um, in a good performance against Kuwait. Uh, we, we've got another Twitter question here from Ben Langan, who wants to know the really important detail. What initiation <laughs> song did you sing, and can you do a few lines from it? Because every soccer who has to do an initiation oh. song. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> steady, steady. That's, that's for the team. That's for the team environment. Um, <laughs> it was Still a few years come. ago, so. Nah, do it. Nah, do it. Nah, I can't, I've got a voice in me today. I've lost my voice last night. So, <laughs> well, just tell us um, what the song is that you're going to do then. What was it? It was it was a few years ago. Now it was um, it was what about me? Right. Oh, um, okay. A few high notes in there, Kenny. Yeah. Look, look. I'm not saying it was good. I'm just saying that. <laughs> 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 Okay, um, uh, let's get on to another question, a rather more serious one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, this one from Oscar. It, it's been seven or eight years since your time at Brisbane City. Have you seen the quality of Brisbane's football recently? Is there progress? I'm, I'm not sure whether he's talking specifically about yeah, City or Brisbane in general. Um, well, 
to be honest, living in Europe, it's it's been hard to watch A League games at times. Um, but when I was at Brisbane Raw, obviously Craig Moore was there for a little bit. Um, it was it was good, and as a young kid, sort of training up, playing with senior pros for the first time, you always think it's it's miles better than what it probably is. But you know, I thought it was it was a great standard, um, and it's it's improved. I haven't seen many games over the last few years, so I can't comment too much of where the standard's gone. But my initial um, opinion of of Australian football of A League was was quite good. Kenny, your first, your first opportunity. So you, I think you left Brisbane in 2014. Is that correct? Um, yeah, yeah, that's correct. So I, I come into Brisbane Royal 2015, but obviously I, I seen seen quite a bit of Yarno uh, with Mike Mulvey with the QAS and then in, in the Brisbane Royal system. Um, how did the how did the opportunity come about for you to to initially head overseas? Um, well, basically, it wasn't really happening for me in Australia, so it was kind of go and hang up your boots, get on with your life, or um, just take one last one last punt and go overseas and, and see what I can do. Um, so there was a guy in Melbourne who just helped me, you know, organise a few trials with Telstar and a few Dutch clubs. And then I just signed a one year there and, and played and did well. So that helped me move to Sparta. And then fantastic first year, we won the, we won the second division and then a couple of years in the Eredivisie. Um, and then... The rest just happens, doesn't it? Unbelievable. It, it has been a rather unorthodox route to, to where you are today. Um, Aman asked this question. After winning the Raw Youth Player of the Year Award, were you ever offered a first-team contract? Um, if not, why not, in your opinion? And how far off were you from making a first-team appearance? Sound, by the sounds of it, quite a, quite a yeah, way off. Um, well, it's. I mean, I was never offered a contract, no. Uh, but... I can't sit here and say, oh, I should have played every week. I should have, you know, I should have gotten a contract. You know what I mean? Like, I can't answer those either. Um, however, I probably wasn't ready, if I'm being honest. Um, I'm still young. Um, I wasn't as good as I am now. So, you know, I I can't answer those questions as simple as that. Um, but mm. we'd, we'd like to all break into the team at 16, have a fairy tale season, maybe like a Phil Foden. But... Yeah, it doesn't happen and sometimes you have to take a, a different route which is what i've done um and you know i wouldn't have liked to have done it any did it any other way it's it's been very enjoyable and it, and it sounds as though it was almost you know your last chance saloon right i'm going to give it a go for a year and if it doesn't work out that that's it i've got to go and do something different i mean that that's how close you were perhaps to, to giving the game away is that fair yeah i mean i was 20 um when i went over late 20 like late of my my 20 year um so i was 21 by the time i made my debut so at that age it's kind of the tipping point really um especially in terms of australia uh so yeah it was it was kind of the last hurrah and lucky for me it's uh it's turned out okay yeah so kenny your, your earlier experience in, in australia um obviously that the new curriculum and what have you had already been rolled out uh, and then you go, you go to Holland, um, and and tactically, um, look, obviously the Dutch are very, very good, like a game of chess. Did did you feel as if you you, you had learnt enough to to obviously slip right into that, or do you feel as if it was a massive learning curve once you arrived in Holland? 
Um, it was definitely a learning curve. However, I did think I learned enough in Australia. Um, to the QA system, I had obviously a Dutch influence. I had Peter Deru was there. Um, so um, I did feel like I had enough, yeah. Um, and then whenever you move to a new club, a new environment, um, it takes the initial you know, month um, to fit in, really. Um, and then after that, I kind of got in the team and, and just played every week. And then if you play every week, no matter where you are, whatever level, you, you'll, you'll improve. And that's where you earn the respect as well, isn't it, from your, in particular, your teammates? Because when you go to Europe, it's, it's cutthroat, let's be honest. It's, yeah. it's dog eat dog, it's you or them. Um, and that's the best way to settle to, to, and to earn the respect of, uh, you know, coaching staff and players is by getting in that team, playing it and keeping that jersey. Yeah, look, um, it is definitely a completely different um, kettle of fish over there. Or I'm still kind of over here, really, I guess. So um, initially, when you go in, it's, it's kind of, like, yeah, nice, nice to meet you, but they're not really your friends. It's kind of, yeah. they're there. well, I'm there to take their spot. So it's a bit hostile at times. And then once you start playing, you're obviously a teammate. So they have to respect you. They have to figure out how to play with you. So, you know, once you roll, roll together and play some games, it's, it's happy days really from there. Is it culturally difficult to adjust as well? I mean, the football is one thing and that's, that's tough enough, but maybe sometimes people forget you go into a new country where you don't necessarily know the language. Uh, you, the, the food can be a little bit different. You're living in a, an environment where it's you know very cold in the winter, which it certainly isn't in Brisbane. Um, all all things that you have to adjust to because you you got to be tough mentally to survive the off field stuff as well as as the football. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> the UK is maybe a bit different to the rest of continental Europe. Um, Holland, to be fair, um, the culture is not that different, and then everyone speaks English to you. So the initial um period is is quite easy um and look there were there were good people at the club that, that helped me out and i actually moved over with um another australian guy alistair quinn um yeah, yeah. he unfortunately yeah you 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 know more um he obviously didn't have the same luck that i had maybe um but again having having someone like that at, at the same team as you was was great um uh, helped me with a lot of the off the ball stuff off the pitch stuff sorry um but yeah i joined actually late in the preseason so it was kind of i played a couple of preseason games and then sort of just rolled into into 90 minutes competitive football so that i guess helped um i think if you're not playing settling is a bit more difficult um so it was good to have that mate off the pitch however on the pitch it all it all clicks sort of kind of straight away, yeah. which was good. It's brilliant. I, I love the way you've forged your own career. Like it hasn't been easy. And it's great to hear someone roll their sleeves up and actually do it the hard way to say, man, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to make a career out of this. And I think a lot of people don't understand how important the resilience is. And that's what, that's what you've created. But the thing that I'm really interested in is... Mate, how do you get away with that haircut in camp from the senior <laughs> players? Um, well, I can't change it while I'm here, can I? So, you know, <laughs> uh, Maury, I what, would, what would we have done to that haircut, Maury? Oh, mate. <laughs> we would have had some fun, let me tell you. 
I'll but tell you, you know what, what. When you score two goals at Wembley, mate, you can wear your hair with it however you want. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, when I first joined Blackpool um, last year, I had, a, I had a normal haircut. So I joined Blackpool this season and a few of the senior boys sort of said, look, what's going on here? It's, it's not really allowed. And then as soon as I kicked the ball, they said, uh, they, yeah, it's fine. You can do what you want. So... <laughs> Brilliant. Um, let's get back to your, your career, Kenny. Um, I want to ask you about your time at Sparta and in particular playing under uh, a manager or coach that, that Maury knows well as well, Dick Advocat, because uh, he was your coach there for a little while. And I think Michael Reisiger, another famous name from the Dutch national team, he was on the coaching staff as well, assistant manager for a few seasons. Were they big influences on, on your development? Um, they kind of came in at different periods. Um, Reisiger, for sure, <clears throat> he was sort of the start, um, you could say, of my European career. You know, I had him second season in Europe and then third and um, and so on. So defensively, he taught me a lot of things. Um, he, was, he was obviously world-class, um, yeah. won a lot of stuff. So you can only learn from people like them. Um, and then... Dick Avocat, he came in a little bit of a, a rough time for us. You know, it was a, it was a manager got sacked. So it's a bit hostile when, when new guys come in and yeah. it's hard to sort of change um, systems where you play in, in six months, which is all he had. So I can't say I learned too much from him, to be honest. Um, maybe off the pitch, you, you, you pick up a few things, but it was more just learning to survive you know we, we had to win games and um that side's completely different to you know the pretty preseason football that sometimes you play so look wherever you are you always learn or you always should learn so you know i'd like to think i picked up little bits from everywhere um but yeah the one thing the dutch, dutch are very good at um obviously the education side of football when I was under Dick Avocat, which you said you didn't have too much time with, made it very, very simple for, for me, Kenny, because it was like five players construct and build and, and five players look to go and score the goals. Uh, that, that's how simply kind of made it. Obviously, the players help. One thing the Dutch are not very good at, mate, they're shit out at penalties, aren't they? Ah, rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're too confident. That's the thing. They're too confident. <laughs> are, are they worse than England, Maury? Oh, mate, I used to wind up Dutchies up at our place. I says, mate, penalty shootouts, hopeless. <laughs> um, the, the one thing that the Dutch are very good at is, is flexibility in terms of their football. Now, I know during your career, Kenny, you've played centre-back, you've played left-back. Obviously, you've played in midfield, which I think is your preferred role. Do you enjoy that sort of moving around the field and playing different positions, or would you rather just stick in, in the role that you prefer? Um. I'd rather be on the pitch. Um, it's as simple as that. <laughs> That's fair. Um, however, I do prefer it in the middle. There's no hiding that. Um, but, you know, there's only 11 that can go on the pitch. And sometimes with the options you have, you have to fit in wherever you can, wherever you can sorry. Um, that helps me as well, um, being able to, to slot in anywhere. Um, I haven't done so much um, chopping and changing since, since I came to England. So... That was more of um, a Dutch thing. Um, but since I came to England, to be fair, Barnsley had a, had a couple of bad injuries. So 
at Barnsley was kind of a bit stop-start for me. But, um, you know, since getting Blackpool, it was just limit, like one week preseason and then just rolling to Saturday, Tuesdays for, for four months. So... Yeah. I want to pick up on that um, <clears throat> injury that you spoke about, in particular the broken leg uh, that you suffered in, in March 2019 whilst you were with uh, Barnsley. Um, I read that you, you actually tried to play on. I'm not sure whether you actually realised you had a broken leg at the time. Um, yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't realise, obviously. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have just probably cried and got someone to take me off like yeah. every other footballer. Um, but it was just a contact injury. It was an accident. There's no, it, was, it wasn't a bad challenge or anything. Just at the time, a lot of adrenaline is pumping through your blood and you think, oh, I'm fine here. You know, it's just a kick. Um, I sort of, I didn't try, I guess I did try to play on. I just hobbled off and then sort of walked back on and then just said, nah, I can't, this is impossible. And then I just had to go, obviously. So, so mentally, Kenny, so was that your, 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 probably your first real test? I mean, as footballers, we, we love to be fit, we love to be healthy, we love to be playing. But the, the other side, uh, and, and Spider touched on the resilience, you get a, you know, you get an injury uh, and mentally how, how was that for you? How did you cope with that? Uh, how challenging was that? Yeah, very tough, very tough. Um, I think it's worse being injured like that than not being selected, um, in my opinion, because there's something you can do about it or something you can speak to when you're injured. It's, you can't do anything. You just have to you know, follow your rehab program and, and wait, which is the worst thing you can really do as a footballer, just sit on your, sit on your backside and, and wait. So. It was tough. Um, it was. It was. It wasn't as as leg breaks go. It was. It was fine. It was just a, a fracture in my tibia. So it was. I think I read. I think it was two hundred eighteen days, game to game. So, um, you know, it was. It was tough, but it's it's something that I've I've had my whole life. Sort of when I was younger, sort of with the rejection. So it's kind of just another another thing that I've got to go over with and and get back on with it. You've got to be resilient <clears throat> in football, um, and you're certainly going to have to be resilient with Blackpool in the Championship uh, next year, because th this is the second time that you've been promoted to this league. You did it with Barnsley in 18-19, and they had a real struggle to stay up the next year. H how does this promotion compare for you? And looking at next season, how well do you think you can go in the second tier in England? I think... Um, well, we were completely different teams, to be honest, so it is hard to compare. Um, I think the manager is, is crucial because we had a certain style with Barnes and we went up and then I think that style you don't get away with in the championship. Um, so at Blackpool, I think the gaffer we have now is, is tactically very good. He used to be Liverpool on a 23s coach, so he's learned a lot. A lot that's of, Neil uh, Critchley, yeah? Yeah, that's Neil Critchley, yeah. Um, he's learned a lot a lot of uh, Klopp and obviously some world-class staff at Liverpool. So he has tactically set us up perfect. It's his first uh, year in senior football and obviously we've we've got promoted, so hats off to him. Um, we will need to strengthen in, in certain areas, that's obvious, whenever you go up um, or even if you stay in the same division. Yeah. Um, and it shows you at yeah, we, we had a tough time, but we survived. Um, and then again, with virtually the same team, they go and come fifth. So, yeah. you know, it's, it doesn't take a lot to click. And, you know, our goal is to obviously click straight away uh, and, and 
survive is, is the first point and then anything beyond that's a bonus. I, I assume your long-term ambition is not just to play in the championship. You'd love to play in the Premier League or one of the other uh, big leagues in Europe. Did you have a team you supported when you were growing up from, from Europe? Uh, it's probably Man United. Um, oh, dear. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfortunate. Oh, dear. <laughs> you know, at the time, it was, it was great. Uh, obviously, I've got a Scottish father and that's where I spoke with managers, so... It was, I mean, you should just support, if you're not from the, from the place, you should support what your family supports. And that's what dad, dad supported them. So that's, that's what it did. And then he's a jambo. So obviously it's not the best for more either. <laughs> but um, yeah. could be worse. <laughs> could be worse. Hearts <laughs> are a good club. They're back up in the premiership this season as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah good. good year for them. Okay, we got two more questions, then we're going to let you go, um, Kenny, because we're aware that you've got commitments. Um, first of all, a very cheeky one from Daniel. How does it feel to be the king of Blackpool? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, good, good, good hero. <laughs> <laughs> My, uh, Spider, you can't oh, see this, obviously, there. listeners, but he's holding up a mug that says king. There you go, <laughs> Kenny, that's for you, mate. That's for you. Uh, although I'm not sure we get a crown on that barnet, but um, and the, the final question, <laughs> as ever, goes to Mr. Jelko Kalatz. Take it away, Spider. Kenny, tell us, mate, the best ground you've ever played at, which we already know the answer to that, and the biggest dungeon you've ever played at. Wow, um, <clears throat> the, the best, the best ground. Um, <clears throat> Mate, seriously, I thought you were a no-brainer to say Wembley. It's got to be Wembley, yeah. <laughs> and it's been a good one, though. It's got to be Wembley just for the moment and everything. Um, Mate, seriously, what took you so long to answer that? I thought it was just... A... Well, be, no, be, to be fair, because there was only 10,000 there, I was thinking, what's what's the most hostile? What's the, what's Mate, the who cares? <laughs> oh, I'm answering it then for you. <laughs> what's, what's the biggest and dungeon? The biggest then, dungeon. Dungeon. Well, I mean, probably the most hostile place I've been was um, final stadium to Um There was it was a local derby for us, um, so we also got we also got beat four zip. So that didn't help. Um, <laughs> wow, that's got to be the one I think. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Kenny, we, we really appreciate your time uh, today and sharing some of those stories with us. Uh, it's a terrific. Uh, Jan, what's happened over the last week and obviously we hope you keep it up both with the Socceroos and with Blackpool in, in the Championship next year really appreciate you joining us, thanks mate Cheers, thanks for having me Brilliant Kenny, well done mate Get a haircut buddy <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is Kenny Dougal and that is us for this week, join us again next week for another Shim Spider and so much more, bye for now
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.